0: Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird.
1: Try to fly my way homeward with the melody And I make the beat Don't know where it'll take me, take me Cause when I'm in the dark of night I sing my way back to the light Come along with me and your heart will see That a song changes everything Oh Oh
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Arts for the Health event. I am your host, Richard Wilmore.
0: And I'm your host, Constanza Roeder. We had such a cool interview today. I know I say that every time, um, but we've talked to people that have brought the arts into so many different settings and communities. But today we're talking about what music can look like in a prison Mm -hmm. setting. Oh, so we had Molly Carr and Andrew Jantz from Project Music Heals Us. um, And they have done stuff in hospitals and they have done stuff in hospice and with nursing homes. But they have this program that they started in prisons that is just mind-blowingly cool.
2: Yeah. Yes. There are (laughs) like just the stories. It's a really long podcast that will but that was edited down to what you're about to uh listen to but just the stories of of what they found that they could do and what was possible and just the impact it made yeah and like how can you plan that you know you couldn't write that but it's it's so cool for for them and for the people that are there i don't know absolutely
0: and It was a long podcast because they're doing so much, and they're such a small. They're another small nonprofit like us, and actually, our connection with them is they um, they have funded several projects during COVID to bring digital music concerts into, into hospitals, and we were one of the programs that they that they funded so that we could pilot a program um, at a local hospital at a stroke and re- stroke and cardiac rehabilitation hospital here in San Antonio Um, and we just fell in love with them and what they're doing and they they have this like really nice connection with Yo-Yo Ma and so Yo-Yo Ma got to um, he wanted to play for our patients and so we got to host him for a digital concert Um, and I just I just love they're just so smart at what they do and how they're doing it and the impact that they're making is amazing
2: yeah very innovative stuff they're doing Molly is the founder, and Andrew is the executive director, and they're both musicians and very incredible people that we talk about their beginning stories as well, so I won't read that to you, but instead, let's just listen to them tell it, shall we? It's the interview that we've all been waiting years for because of multiple reasons why we've had to reschedule this recording, but we're very excited to be talking with Molly and Andrew from Project Music Heals Us. Thank you both for uh, joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
3: Yeah, and, and putting up with our um, our both of our hand issues.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's quite the saga. It's true. Yeah. You So
2: you're in a competition currently of who... Can't have the most bruises or broken bones
1: or what's exactly happening with you? two? Uh, it's
3: a dog bite versus a bike accident. Um, well,
1: and uh, and an appendix, a lost appendix. Oh right, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> now this, yeah, it, uh, something about this podcast is like um,
3: we've been really yeah. nervous about it.
1: Yeah, we're yeah. <laughs> 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 avoiding yeah. it at
0: all costs. <laughs> <laughs> That's- Uh, Well, what
2: I would love to know then is how you're using the arts to heal, to uh, help yourself with all of
1: these injuries and these health uh, things that are happening in your life. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, the dog bite happened while we were um, in L.A. recording uh, a course for prisons um, as part of our programming um, outside of hospitals. And I was playing Beethoven the whole time, and I actually managed to keep playing with uh, a hand that was like the size of a watermelon. Oh my <laughs> gosh. But it, yeah. but it really, it taught me um, that, yeah, to don't push with the thumb, which is what my teachers always told me my, <laughs> on my viola. Like you can tell when I, when I would push with the thumb, it was like, nope, don't do that. So
3: if you push too much with your thumb, the dogs really get upset.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then mine,
3: mine the, only, the only thing I can say is that it fell in possibly the best time, time span. I had just gotten finished with a series of recordings in New York, um, which I would have been very upset to miss. We got to record an episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, a new, a new movie called Tick, Tick, Boom, which is being yeah. directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then, and then the last thing was Michael Bublé and um, Paul McCartney were working on a song together that actually Molly and I both recorded it on um, – and then, and then I flew back, and then two days later, broke my hand. Oh
1: gosh.
3: <laughs> so, and then if I, it's a race against the clock, because our next intensive recording session for this, we're, we're building this music composition course for the Bar Prison Initiative. Um, and the next recording session is late September. So, you can do that. Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Just lovingly to I'm, your hands. I'm playing Bach into my hand every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, we, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. Can y'all tell us? Tell us about what Project Music Heals Us is, um, maybe how it started, and what you guys are doing.
3: Yeah, Molly, you want to? Sure.
1: Yeah. So um, this tends to be a very, very long, um, (laughs) yeah, winded um, explanation. So you can cut me off at any time and I'll try to be (laughs) succinct. It's a
0: cool story, so (laughs) go for
1: it. Well, so um, Project Music Heals Us is a nonprofit that is now eight years old. Um, we exist to bring the arts into communities and spaces that don't otherwise have access. So what that's meant over the past eight years has been over a thousand um, free concerts and workshops now in hospitals, hospices, um, prisons, homeless shelters, nursing homes, um, and refugee camps. Um so it's been a, a totally wild ride. It's not anything that I expected nine years ago. Um, I would be spending a lot of my life um, doing, um, but I, it actually, the, the founding of Project Music Heals Us um, came from a moment in my life where I wasn't sure um, I would actually be able to play Again, another, um, I, I, another yeah. yeah, which actually was just after another catastrophic injury, which oh is I busted my knee playing soccer. And then like literally three weeks later, I, I shattered a glass bowl into my left hand and had a bajillion little pieces um, that doctors and surgeons couldn't find. Um, so in a couple months of um, waiting and wondering if I would be able to put my finger down on my instrument again without hitting the ceiling um i started uh exploring other options of a life and career and went and took a nursing aid course with the american red cross and in that course um i was assigned to care hands-on for a late stage alzheimer's patient and um that patient, I had been told when I was assigned to her that she hadn't spoken in years. Um, she was very difficult to work with. Um, I, My task was to ignore the screams um, mm. that would be happening while I was moving her and caring for her and just get in and get out and get the job done and get on to the next patient. This is life. So I tried to do that. And I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I instead sat and held her hand for no more than like 90 seconds. And lo and behold, this person who hadn't spoken in years uh, turned to me and started speaking in complete sentences Mm -hmm. and um, started asking me things that showed that she was there. Um, At least part of the time, she knew what was going on around her. It's just no one had given her the time or space. To, to open up and, and share those things. So um, I obviously became very attached to her. And um, every time I saw her for the rest of the residency, she would talk to me, um, even if I wasn't um, assigned to her. Even if, even if it was across the room, we would um, connect and she would talk. And so um, on the last day of the residency, I promised her um, that if I could play my instrument again, that I would bring people back to her bedside, like Andrew, um, like my mentors at, at the Juilliard School, um, at the Curtis Institute of Music, um, from Berlin, from Tel Aviv, from all the, the different places that I'd been playing concerts around the world um, before that. And I would bring them all back and play at her bedside. And so I did. Um, and I managed to, to start playing about three months later and three months after that, um, we were playing a Mozart viola quintet with um, some of my teachers. And Andrew was also there at the very first concert. Um, and we got to watch what it means to bring um, all of our our heart and all of our passion and all of our decades of um, efforts that we'd poured into our arts and bring that to someone who has been in isolation and who has um, had a rough time um, for a lot of years before that. And we saw the effects of that and um, the rest is history. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. um, from there, it's just expanded and expanded. And um, it's a situation that that reaction that we saw on on her face um that day is something that we see almost every time that we do any of those thousand plus um, activities and um, keeps us going, keeps us working. So I told you it was long winded. There we go.
0: No, it's such a stunning story and how beautiful that this time in your life when you couldn't make music was, was that time that you discovered kind of your calling in music. Like that's I think that's a really fascinating um, part of your story, and just how cool that you listened, and how many people you guys have blessed in so many different areas um, that they may have otherwise been forgotten. And then you come in and bring music, and it and it heals them. Project Music heals us. I love that. Yes.
2: Were you what was your reaction when you held her hand and she spoke to you? Were you like, Yeah, I knew this would happen? Or <laughs> were you like, I knew what I was doing?
1: No, not at all. Oh my gosh. I was I was flabbergasted that, you know, I've been prepared so hard to, you know this is this woman is gone. You know, you just um do your thing and ignore. And so I yeah, I was very I was shocked. Also I was shocked that she knew so much that was going on around her like her questions like one of the questions she asked me was are you with the american red cross mm. which like she recognized that all of these people all were coming in and out of her room that they weren't the normal people that were caring for her and they were you know and that's yeah so stuff like that that it was um yeah, yeah. i was i was shocked and and obviously very moved I was yeah wanted to keep it going as long as possible
0: and Andrew you were at one of those first concerts right
3: yeah I was I was lucky enough to be asked to be a cellist um for for this first kind of experiment concert at the same the same venue that Molly had been working um and and it turned out that Ruth um this woman was not able to be at the group concert that we gave that day she she um Molly asked after her after the concert and said, Is Ruth is she here? And they told us, No, she's having a really difficult day. Um, we couldn't bring her down. And so um Molly, um in in typical fashion of not taking um <laughs> no for an answer was like, Okay, well we're gonna go play a concert in a room. And they they actually allowed us to do that. And and it was really I mean, for this is a podcast, so you kind of can't see the visual um aspects of it. She was she was really locked up, like arms tight. Mm. Like scowl on her face, just clearly in in a lot of a lot of distress. um But we started playing, and I, I, Molly tells it the best. But after the first couple lines, like you know, one one eye opened, and then we played a couple more lines, and then a, the second eye opened, and then you could kind of just see over the entire first movement of of this piece that we played for, like the body started to relax, like muscles started declenching. Um, and no no words were said in in that one, but you could really feel the room change over the course of of a piece of music and you know whether it 's the, the frequency of the sound or just the notion that somebody cares enough to to spend their time and their effort and their life force on making your day better um it was it was a really moving experience and i i had been I had been working for another um, music nonprofit in the city um much much more of just kind of a, a a standard concert series. And and this was the first time where I had, I had gotten to experience something that a, a friend of mine had created. Um, and it really set the seeds, kind of planted the seeds for me to want to get more and more involved over the years.
0: Hmm. You mentioned that powerful combination of the music itself, which, you know, there's, there's research building about the, the health Benefits of listening to music, but then that combined with that live person coming into your room and playing for you and pouring their years and and um, as Molly said, decades of of training and experience and and expertise and bringing that to play for an audience of one. And I wonder if you could speak to in your work um, uh, any differences that you know or have seen between pre-recorded music and live music and why live music is maybe so important. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, if I, I'll, I'll say a couple words and then I think Andrew, um, you you definitely can answer on this one. Um, I, I one thing that I, um, think about a lot and actually in any conversations about PMH you talk about a lot is the fact that, um, Tim H.U. was founded not in a musical moment. It was founded in a moment of silence. It was founded in a moment of um, human connection. And um, the fact that I was uh, or am a musician um, just meant that that was what I could offer. That's like my my venue. You know, that's like my vein of um being able to connect and so if like if i were um if i were a storyteller that would be my my method if i were a chef that would be you know i'd bring food Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah so the the really the core of like the heart of pmhu is human connection Um, Mm -hmm. that's why we do what we do any of the programming that we do um is always surrounded by the whys, Um, you know, why, why are we there for one? Why are we playing this music um, that we're dedicating our lives to, you know, to perfecting, which we never can. Um, Why are we, you know, why are we doing all of this stuff? And so that, that um, it's not just like, oh, here you go. um, Here's something beautiful, feel better. No, it's here. This is my best. I'm going to give you everything I am. And um, we're in this together, and let's you know, let's connect on on this moment and this um, struggle and this um, everything that's in in this thing that I'm I'm working on. Let's join it together. I don't know. That was a little roundabout. I hope that makes sense. No, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So when you ask about live in person programming, I think yeah, it's. Um, Yes, <laughs> it, it's, it a, it's so it's so important. Yeah. And which is why, you know, it, it has been such a challenging past year in having so much of our programming, just um, like the, the gates come down and, and close really just we are not allowed in the prisons and um, the retirement homes like those communities are the most vulnerable in our population by far right now. And so um, so it's been challenging, but also um, very exciting and, and educational in, in us trying to find new ways to be able to still have that um, personal connection, um, which is where I'm going to have Andrew take over for talking and um, okay. with our, our Vital Sounds initiative that we're trying as much as possible to keep Within that digital platform, still that personal connection. So, Andrew, you take over now. You Talk about
3: yeah, that. I mean, to to jump right into the 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 COVID part of this, um, when when everything when when all the live arts kind of shut down and everybody did their best to move their whatever their art was to a digital platform and keep the essence of it, um, our program was so based in human connection that it really didn't feel. Either proper or possible to to move it into kind of a mass market um, digital streaming um, platform and and, ha- and keep that that essence of it. Um, we were really lucky to have an opportunity with a doctor who was working as a COVID hospitalist night manager to start playing concerts for her patients and her staff um, in a one-on-one, one musician to one patient. Um, Kind of kind of platform setup um, and what that did was even though you don't have the same personal physical connection in in a way it's even more intimate because now you have one person playing for you and and the the ipad or the tablet is actually in the room with you sometimes in the bed with you um, and you're talking with an artist, which is something that you would probably not usually have the opportunity to do in a, in a live setting in that kind of one on one way so even even though the there is something that is definitely lost over a digital platform. I mean, first of all, sound quality is you know the first thing to to have a challenge with. That that kind of um, very intense one-on-one connection that happens is something that that we've seen have in, kind of incredible um, results. I I had for for one uh, a couple months ago. I played into a a post uh it was a neuro rehab unit and I was, I was speaking with a woman um, and I was asking her, we always try and have as much preferential music. Um, it's something that I think all of us have talked with, with Jill Stonkey down in Florida about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and while I can't always play an exact song, um, you know, trying to play the kind of music that that she needed. But the last thing she asked me for was if I could play the Marine hymn for her. Um, and because it was a digital platform, I was able to bring it up on my, on my computer and play through it. And that really, I and mean, you could just see it on her face. It really hit home. And afterwards she, she offered that she really wanted to hear it because her brother had passed away in Vietnam 50 years ago. And that song was, was his, his and her still connection in this world to that, that familial connection. And it was just the kind of thing where it's like that, that even though we're on a digital platform, that kind of thing wouldn't have been able to happen in a, in an in-person um, setting. So there, there are pluses, there are minuses. Um, there, there's a, an aspect of it also where you can bring in family from all over the world, um, to play for a palliative care patient who might not, otherwise not get to experience something with their family. And there's also just an aspect of pe- some people really have a hard time connecting with, with new people, new foreign, foreign people in weird circumstances like a hospital, you know, ICU room and music can really short circuit those, those fears. I mean, if mm-hmm. uh, you can, you can play a song for someone and all of a sudden you immediately have something to talk about because mm-hmm. so universal that, that you can talk about, did you like that song? Sure. Did you, what did you, would you like me to play something similar or different? I mean, and, and it can start that rudimentary. And then before you know it, you're talking about, you know, how they grew up and what music was playing in their home when they, when they were growing up and, and it gets very personal very quickly um, mm-hmm. because I think just music has the the ability to connect people so intensely. So in such a short amount of time. Um, so it's been, it's been a really interesting um, journey from only live in person programming to, to trying to keep that essence of connection over a digital platform.
1: Mm if i can also jump in and piggyback on all of that um i i will answer straight up that i think that there is no replacement for in person um but um i think two huge benefits uh, in addition to the stuff that andrew was just talking about is through the digital um one-on-one concerts that we've been able to do over the past year Um, We've actually learned about areas and hospitals um, everywhere that are eternally in isolation that we had no idea before that um, even if we were in person, um, we would never be able to access those. So that is a doorway that has been really beautiful that we've been able to to, um, open and see through for the first time that we can um, if it's If it's digital, then we're able to get there and we're able to um offer some benefit to those people behind those closed doors yeah
3: and and yep. and that's and that is it can be because the the patients are immunocompromised because they just got out of a a bone marrow transplant. It can be because they were in a a, a hospital that doesn't have the funding for a creative arts program it can be because they're just in the hospital for a year. In a in a either a long term cancer care unit or because they're waiting for a heart to come up on a transplant list. I mean, there there's so many myriad reasons why somebody might be experiencing um, isolation and wouldn't have access to to in person arts. So yeah, I, I I would never argue that that <laughs> digital arts is is a replacement for any of of the in person. Um, and we really can't wait to get back to to in person arts, but it, it has been. An interesting um discovery to to see what we can do um when when that is not available to us
0: well, and I think one of the the overarching points that you guys are each hitting on is it's all live. it all is still that interaction between a musician and a client that they're serving um that just pre-recorded music can't really duplicate. There's something about that connection, whether it's virtual or in person, they can't really duplicate. And the value of musicians in these spaces and professional musicians. Um, and I know that you guys pay your musicians to do this work. So I would love to hear a little bit about um, why you do that, why you think that's important, the the value of musicians in these types of spaces.
3: Sure. Um. I, I can so the the initial um the initial impetus for this was that you know the pandemic struck in March February of twenty twenty, and we had already contracted a bunch of our musicians for programming through the end of of our season um so when when all this happened, you know, in March, there was this like period of a couple weeks, a very short period of a couple weeks where everything kind of cascaded. So in the classical music world, it was when. Carnegie Hall and the Metropolitan Opera and the New York Philharmonic all decided they couldn't do live programming, then every smaller arts organization also decided, well, if they can't do it, then we can't do it. So there's this flood of emails like, sorry, canceled. Um, And so we we had these artists um, who we also had this conundrum. It's like, okay, well, we can't do these live programs, but none of us feel good about you know, furloughing our artists when they already just lost everything else. And so we we came together as a artistic leadership and as our board of directors and just decided to honor those contracts regardless of what happened um, and at the same time look for something that would feel on mission to get them started. So at least for the first couple of months, we were using the artists who were going to be going into the prisons, going to be going to do live hospice concerts, um, and they were the ones giving the, the one-on-one concerts. Um, We were very lucky that um, this program that started in one hospital in Northern Manhattan um, just happened to be the same hospital where the New York Times was reporting on um, a completely unrelated story. And so they, they heard about our program, apparently from multiple, multiple sources within the hospital that this weird um, unique uh, digital concerts program was happening. And they, they ended up running a, a, five-minute video. They created a video for us and they wrote an article and that led to um, an influx of both interest from musicians and uh, institutions and luckily also funding um, just from the general public who who thought that it was a, a beautiful notion that they wanted to support. So at least for a couple months we were able to to pay these artists and, and really like I think 99% of the musicians who have been doing these programs would have done them for free if if we had asked them to and, and if we had not offered. Um, but musicians are the first to volunteer and and always the last ones who can afford to do so. <laughs> so um, we want we want these musicians to be musicians when all of this um, passes. And the only way to to keep people being musicians is to keep them fed and keep them housed and keep them um, mm. feeling appreciated. I mean they they should be this should be a priority for our civilization once everybody is fed and housed that we also put in an impetus on, or an onus on, on supporting artists. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we really believe strongly that the professional musicians should be paid for their, for their time yeah. and effort.
1: We agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um. so when I, so this name project music heals us um is, one that no one can remember and everyone trips over and it kind of like it's stuck in the, in the back of the tongue. Um, but there's an us at the end of it. And, um, I've like stuck to my guns against all the people that are like, um, maybe you should consider changing the name. Um, because every word really holds a lot of meaning and that us is, um, we're not here, you know, bringing musicians to come in, like, heal you No, we're also you know we're here for the the human connection we're talking about but also i wanted us to be an organization that like cares for the whole like the whole package you know we're um bringing in musicians and caring for them on all the levels that a human needs to be cared for that they are doing something that they love they're connecting maybe reconnecting with um you know the power of music and what it can mm. do for people. And then also that they can be, they can just have a great time and and doing it. Um, like the original tours were put in, putting them up in, in houses that uh, host families would just um, pamper them mm. all the time, the whole time they were there on the Connecticut shoreline and um, they would come away having like an, an actual pretty good paycheck. So we wanted to make sure that, yeah, that 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 stays um, mm-hmm. no matter what the programming. So every musician that has played for us so far, except for a couple Juilliard um, students who are under 18 that volunteered through their community engagement class. But every other musician has been paid.
3: Actually, I, I think we didn't. I think we did not pay Yo-Yo Ma.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Yo-Yo yeah, Yo-Yo he Ma. Did, Right. Yeah, he <laughs> Yeah, he wouldn't accept. We would have. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. Richard, you look like you have a question.
2: Well, I have a question because I get asked this a lot. Uh, working for a nonprofit, people are shocked that people who work for a nonprofit get paid and they assume everyone right. is a volunteer. And they're like, wait, well, where do you make your money? I'm like, oh, this it's my job. And they don't understand that. So how do you pay people and offer the services for free. I think that's like so confusing to a lot of people.
3: Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'll, I'll jump in on this. Um, we, we were offering this new program for free at, and, and still are, um, because at the time, the hospitals were also just every, every profit center for them, for them also, um, disappeared. All of the elective surgeries, all of the elective procedures um, they were all hurting. So if we had gone to the hospitals and said, and put up any roadblocks where it's like, well, you really need to cost share with us. Um, none of, none of the patients would have gotten the concerts that they, that they needed. So, um, yeah, but to your point, like there, there isn't always a, a, a focus on where, where is this money going to come from? And is it all, are we relying completely on donations or do we expect that some of these, um, institutions who are benefiting from this will will cost share um, and so we we have a lot of talks about about when the appropriate time is to to ask for institutions to to you know <laughs> pony up um, but there but there's just a reality that some will probably never um either either because of their own bottom line or because of political will or whatever um, and ultimately the people who suffer are not the, the the people making the decisions at the institutions, but it's going to be the recipients of the programming. Um, so we, we do um, try and keep that in mind that, that if we need to raise money from, from private sources, so that, um, so that the, the recipients can have their, their things, you know, their, 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 uh, the, the benefit of the music—that's that's something that that I think is the first thing we think about. Then, as we're growing up as an, an institution ourselves, um, we are looking for other kind of earned income streams because a lot of the the programs do end up benefiting the institution. I mean, you there's been a lot of talk about um, what's called HCAP surveys in hospitals. There that there's a, every time a patient gets discharged from a hospital, a random number of these patients. Um, take surveys on the experience that they've had in the hospital, and those the results of those surveys have a lot of impact on Medicare reimbursements, on uh, prescription drug discounts, and if we are bringing um, a pretty universally appreciated program to these institutions, and ultimately, you know, you move the the needle just a little bit on HCAP, mm-hmm. a huge difference to the bottom line. Um, I think there are a lot of people actually within the hospitals who think that, yes, they should be covering this. So, um, but navigating these huge kind of Byzantine administrative, um, uh, institutions as a small nonprofit, it's, it's a, it's an uphill battle. I mean, Mm. it's for sure, but luckily there are people who, who believe strongly in that and they, they can help you navigate, but it's a process of finding those people, um, trusting them and, and, um, patients.
0: Yeah, I feel you on that for sure. And I I know that um, last time Molly and I talked, she shared some really cool stories about uh, speci- specifically the prison initiatives that you guys have. We've heard a few stories about um, nursing homes and hospitals, but I wonder if you could share what does it look like when you bring music into a prison and what kind of impact does it have?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... Sure. So in our, I think it was our, my, yeah, so it was two years in and sort of since day one, um, since that first concert for um, Ruth was her name was the Alzheimer's patient. um, Ever since then I had been wanting to get into the prison system. I, I, my childhood best friend actually spent nine years um, in a facility in upstate New York um, Mm -hmm. behind bars. And so I had the somewhat unique opportunity except it should be much more unique than it is um, opportunity to go and um, be behind the concrete walls and the barbed wire and hear what happens um, in those in those facilities. And, um, so, you know, with the, a little person being frustrated with, um, a very big scary system, um, the best thing I could think of was, well, let's play music for the course. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, second year in um, with things looking like they were going to stick around with project music Heals us. And, um, keep expanding, I started making phone calls and asking around and trying to figure out how to make that happen and um, made a lot of phone calls, had a lot of no's, and then finally had one yes um, of someone that knew someone's uncle, who knew someone's cousin, who knew <laughs> someone who used to work as a librarian and like might be able to get us in. And so <laughs> we I followed the trail. And um, finally found someone that was believed in, in um, the power of the arts in spaces like that. And within 24 hours, um, we had a concert on the books. Um, wow. And so that was, yeah, I think that was like early April. And, and our concert, I think it was like May. I think it was May 7th of
0: 2016.
1: Wow. And um. So I, I went in um, definitely with a lot of PTSD, a lot of my, my knees knocking, like hearing the, the metal bars clank behind me it was a very familiar and unwanted um, mm-hmm. sound as we walked in with our instruments. And I had no idea. We all had no idea what was going to happen when we got there. Um, we walked in down the halls, um, you know, a single file people, inmates walking this way and us walking this way with the guards and walked into a gym that was filled with 80 guys, 80 inmates. And Not
0: intimidating.
1: I, yeah. And so we, um, yeah, it turns out that um, because it was raining that day, we lucked out. And um, there was a choice between um, them having rec time out in the rain or coming to this what is a classical music concert in the gym <laughs> so they all they all opted for nap time in the gym and so um yeah so we came in and and unpacked and um, while i was waiting for the go-ahead i i suddenly thought like oh we haven't asked if it's okay if I it, like how much is okay to communicate because every different facility has different rules. You, you can't touch, you can't talk. You did this, that, the other thing. So um, I went around back through, through the audience and I went and talked to um, one of the guards and they said, you know, in our programming, we do a lot of back and forth. We do, do a lot of um, talking about what we do and we ask a lot of questions and, is it okay if, if I if all of us ask questions and have them ask questions? It's okay for us to talk back and forth. And and, and um, the guard's response was, "Oh my gosh, yes, you're gonna have to help these guys the like the most you can because they're just so not gonna get this." <laughs> and I and I was and I was like I was really like I had I was like this light bulb moment of okay. We're here now to level the playing field mm-hmm. like if someone if if someone like the guard that is carrying well not really caring for him, but like you know in power over over all these inmates is saying basically that they are inferior and won't understand this elite music, then we have a job now to come and just like bust apart the this this mindset of us and them and bust Mm. apart this situation of like we're superior and we're gonna like teach them this art form that they haven't had the opportunity to experience before you know and so we went back up and and just yeah i think we all felt this very very strong purpose in the moment of like we of telling all of the stuff that we ourselves struggle like heck with in trying to understand this music and in trying to, to, to process it and trying to um, live with it and trying to live up to the standards of our teachers who have been like trying to teach it to us and, and all of this. And, and also the background stories of like, we brought in, um, we brought in late Beethoven, like mm. late Beethoven string quartet, which is not easy listening for anyone, mm. um, much less someone that is hearing um, classical music maybe for the first time. So we just talked about like all of the life experiences that um, maybe were similar to everyone in the room and talked about um, one of our violinists um, talked about how she was terrified to play this piece Bach Chaconne because her teacher had been so tough on her and made her feel that she would never be good enough. And she's really, but she really wants to give her very best um, Mm -hmm. for them today. And so she's going to, she's going to try her best and, um, you know, bear with her. And, and I, because that one of the pieces was solo, um, I got to sneak around to the back of that first concert and just kind of watch and take in the room as she was playing. and, it was like nothing I think that any of us had felt before. It was this level of connection and this intensity of of connection that like everyone was leaning forward on their seats and and she hadn't even finished the last note and they were already on their feet, like standing ovation, hooting and hollering and like supporting her. Like like you never would get that in in, in a live concert <laughs> anywhere else. Classical it was like hall. yeah. <laughs> It you get golf just,
3: claps. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 There's, if, if I can, yeah, there there's one, one, one part of that where it's like, we, we always have this, this issue in classical music where um, a lot of the audience we play for, there's such a deep disconnect between the, the composers who wrote the music and their life experience. Many of whom had very difficult lives. I mean, a lot of them were driven like abuse from, from family to, to, reach this high level to make income for the family a lot of them had a health issues they had to work through a lot of them were dirt poor for most of their lives and so you're playing this music which has this mm-hmm. meth these messages ingrained in the music for you know concert mm-hmm. audiences at Lincoln Center and Carnegie Hall mm-hmm. and certainly there are a lot of people there because they love that the music and the and the message but there's also this weird social you know norm around classical music where the musicians on stage often don't Feel very connected with with the people who they're playing for. Um, mm. But here you're 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 talking about. We did one concert where we brought in um, music that was written around um, catastrophic loss. So it was three mm. three pieces. Um, one was a Mendelssohn quartet that he had written as a catharsis for the very um, tragic, very unexpected death of his sister. Um, and so you're 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 talking you're getting really this ability to get down into the deep like recesses of why this music exists in the first place. And I think you, you are now playing for a lot of people who have been through more than you could imagine. Um, and so we, we talked, we talk a lot with the, the administration about, you know, is this program appropriate? Is this program too much or not enough? Um, and then we have conversations internally. It's like, should we, should we go this deep? Should we go this heavy? And usually, usually the answer is these guys, (laughs) they can take it. Like they've been through things and they're, they're not scared of having the difficult discussions. Um, Mm. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a a process of um, really connecting with an audience on a, on a very, very visceral level. um, Mm. A lot of these concerts. Um, That's
0: such such a good point. I feel like we experience we, struggle with that or have struggled with that a little bit in our program when we bring in guest artists who are maybe playing on our oncology unit and their initial assumption is often oh i need to come and bring happy cheery music and avoid anything that could be sad or whatever when that's where that's where these patients already are they're already in that space so when you come in and bring cheery music it actually drives disconnection because it's yeah. so far removed from their lived experience. But when you know, when we've had, when we've explained that to guest artists and they come in and bring um, really heartfelt, meaningful music that has these types of um, this kind of depth that you talk about, man, it's it it's a whole the whole new thing.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that and that that very point was what drove the the next kind of phase of of the work because we were doing we were doing these one a day um you know come in early in the morning stay for half a day um but we we really started thinking about like what if we what if we stayed what if we took these one day things and extended them to like a full week come in four hours a day and um we, we were able to find a teaching artist who was able to help the guys start doing creative work, like writing their own music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't teach music composition in five days, but you can start getting people's melodies and their heads onto paper. Um, yeah. Molly, do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the first? Um...
1: Yeah. Um, so our, yeah. So that was, we did about a year of what Andrew was describing of these one-off um concerts where we just go in and pack in as much uh, music and talking and sharing as we possibly could. And every time, I mean, after that first concert we left and some of us like just laughed. Some of us just cried. Some of us, it it was just like this moment of like, what just happened? (laughs) It was this yeah wild, like whatever that was, we want to keep doing it as much as possible. So we were really lucky actually Um, that we played a public concert right after that first concert. And um, in the audience was someone who became one of our biggest donors um, and said, my two hobbies are um, psychology, um, like volunteering as a psychologist in prisons, and chamber music. So what do you need to start this program? And I was like, oh, A lot of money (laughs) (laughs) and and so he made it happen um so after that first year of just going and making connections with as many facilities as possible throughout um connecticut new york and california um we as andrew mentioned just started to think like wow well if just these one-off situations just like two hours together is so amazing and so like beneficial um what would happen if we stayed for a whole week and we, we did this type of like more in-depth situation. So that first um, that first program we did was in that week, first week long program we did was in Danbury federal correctional institution. And um, it was just, it was shocking. Um, I, I don't, obviously, again, no one had any idea what to expect. We were all quite nervous that, you know we're trying to do something crazy and trying to teach music like writing music composition within just a short amount of time but we discovered that um there were like former professional musicians there who then would adopt the um like the the people who are in the workshop that had never done any music before, but were just really interested in trying to get something out of their ear and and onto paper. And so um, we ended up um, sort of by fate, um, we were locked out of the prison because of fog, of all things, um, for a couple of the days that we were supposed to be doing this first residency. But because of that, then we got to come back like a month or a month and a half later and and finish the workshop and so when we came back that month and a half later what the guys were telling us was that the whole atmosphere of the prison had changed over those it wasn't just during that week that we were there that he like there was someone that came up to me and said "Um, i go outside for um you know the past four weeks and i see instead of seeing You know, what you normally see in prison courtyard. I see people sitting, writing music together. I see people collaborating. I see people jamming. I see people um, building, like doing teamwork. I see Mm -hmm. this guy that never would have talked to this guy because they're in opposing gangs. They're now like buddying up to care for each other to build this piece that they really wanted to have ready for for you guys to perform today. So it's just like wild, wild stories. And so, of course, again, that was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was just our first workshop. So then we, we dove in and did um several more of those in many places that we could. And of course that's you know, never enough. So we're like, well, what if we stay for a whole year? <laughs> <laughs> a week. So um so yeah, so we had launched um a year round composition and Um, bust apart all of the Beethoven string quartets and see what we can learn from them and um, what was the inspiration of each little thing that you can hear in the quartet can you take it and put it into your own situation we started getting like rappers we started getting um, um, poets that would write just write the poetry and then we would have to put it to music and like improvising with them and it was just such a great time and then COVID hit
3: uh. <laughs> there was there were there were a couple, and what was interesting is that with the limitations of like knowing that you're not going to be writing, you know, full compositions on five staves with you know treble clef and sharps and flats and everything. Um, w- knowing that those limitations existed with with a five day program, so some people who were poets but also had a musical ear, um, they would have us. Um, he would write like there was one, a guy named Matt wrote a poem. And then wanted us to put basically um, sound bites on vocal triggers. So he would read something like, "I ran, I ran away from from the home." And then when we when he hits home, we have to make this kind of running sound with our instruments. And then and then he's talking mm. about. But my my mother came out, and when mother hit, um, he had this notion that he wanted us to do crunchy, crunch peanut butter because that's it's <laughs> just a song he had associated. So it was this kind of free free association musical poetry um and it was like 20% cacophonous 20% um spoken spoken word rhythmic it was just it was such a cool art form that I hadn't really ever heard before um so yeah so that that kind of thing um was just kind of revelatory and um yeah so so that that brought us to COVID when when that hit and then Um, So the the other, the other thing worth mentioning, I think is that, so Molly mentioned that, that these programs are based around Beethoven and specifically the Beethoven quartets. And um, we we do think that it's worth like mentioning why, why we chose that particular medium. Um, And the first reason is that the music is awesome and we love that music. And it's the music that we're incredibly passionate about, but there's also a, a, a background in his personal life where, I think a lot of people know that he was the deaf composer and he struggled with that for most of his life. He started going deaf very young, but even before that he had familial issues, like deep familial problems going back from his his father running him into the ground to become this this post-Mozart um, you know, prodigy to support the family and get famous and he had deep-seated issues around that. Later in life, when he was writing these late quartets, he had extreme gastrointestinal issues. He suffered from something called the melancholia, which we would today probably call bipolar disorder. Like this is a person with um, a lot of reasons to embrace anger and hate and and all the things which he, he was, by all accounts, a rather angry guy. But. Um, in his music, keeps choosing hope and brotherhood and the ode to joy and mm. um, just this message that 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 you can strive for these things even as life continues to throw throw things at you. Um, and then the last reason is that the the kind of music that he he wrote was very like fragmented music. Like he, he, he didn't have a lot of long flowing melodies. It was more small units of music, like bum, 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 bum. Yeah. But I da not like rather mm. simple things that people can process in their ears very quickly. And then it's the development of that music, which creates art. And, and that, that kind of building block style of learning is very conducive to like entry level Mm. Um, through masterful um, study of, of art, so he's been a really um, kind of wonderful conduit for for teaching music um, in any circumstance. Mm. Um,
0: I'm so glad you jumped in and share that. That's fascinating and makes so much sense. That's really cool. Yeah, because
3: otherwise it's like, wait, why are you bringing Beethoven string quartets? <laughs> um, yeah. We have reasons.
1: <laughs> and if I can, yeah, just bring this to present day now. So all of the stuff that we were talking about. Um, again, when COVID hit, it was just devastating that we were, um, we were shut out and we still are shut out. Um, we just got word um, that maybe, week. yeah, last week that um, maybe we'll be able to go back into the New York City Department of Corrections um, this September. But all of our other programs um, are still on lockdown. So um, but during this time, again, and sort of returning to like um, the digital platforms, there, there has been a silver lining in this past year of seeing the, the what's possible in this digital world that we're living in um, with the Vital Sounds initiative and being able to expand from the ICU of one hospital to 25 hospitals across the US that we've never, obviously never would be able to access, um, you know, as, as two people, well, it's not true. My mom's on the team too. So three people, um, you know, running a nonprofit that, um, but now with digital platforms, we're able to do that. And so we sort of took a step back and, and have been, um, we're thinking, okay, well, let's look at our other programming What's possible with that now, too, um, and so that's why for this year, while we're still shut out, um, we're building basically a distance learning program for prisons that we mm-hmm. really hope will be a similar situation to what happened with Vital Sounds that will be able to expand into any facility that um, that wants arts programming but maybe doesn't have it doesn't have the means to. T- do something like that. So we're going to have, um, yeah, this course that is based off of the the programming that we've been doing, um, the year-round programming we've been doing, and busting apart the Beethoven quartets and um, putting them back together in new, cool, different ways, um, and doing that virtually. That we're mm. we're building this um, this course, and it's uh, big and scary, and we hope it's going to work out. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's the that's where we're at right now, and um, working very hard to bring that together. We actually have our first um, big filming date. Well, actually, we've been filming for a couple sessions now, but the big teaching artist of like the the actual like class portions is being filmed in early September. So we're. Yeah. Scurrying, trying to get everything together right now.
3: Yeah, there's, we we we're really lucky to to know a man named Brad Balliot who is a professor at the Peabody Institute of Music, um, a very successful bassoonist of of his own right. Um, he's written twenty episodes, um, so there'll be digital episodes taking you from soup to nuts of basically a first year music composition course, mm-hmm. um, and then that will be the digital foundation for a live in-person course when that becomes um, possible again so it's kind of it's kind of like flipping a normal course on its head where the everyone will be able to look at the digital course at their own pace and then when they have inevitably four thousand questions about what what a staff is what a sharp is what all all of this that they'll actually have that live in-person um time to to process all this and ask ask questions and hopefully get answers that are um, suitable, but that that the idea is that these it'll probably be DVDs because you can't stream into a prison, but um, but that you can send this course to anywhere that has an an arts in corrections um, program. So if there's a, a music professor at the University of Milwaukee who really believes in social justice reform, they can take this platform, bring it to. Um, an institution in their community and start up, and and it can be it can be a, um, a, a. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully a groundswell.
0: Oh, that's so smart, and that is a great way to leverage yourselves, a small nonprofit, like to empower other people to do what you're doing. That's so cool.
2: We got so excited that we forgot to even take a commercial break this episode. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store, organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Mindy Peterson, host of the podcast Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education. You can find me and Enhanced Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. You are you are both doing so much that we could have you on every week to talk about the different like populations you're working with. But how can people best connect with you if they have questions or want to help or maybe your second biggest donor is out there listening right now and they want to (laughs) step up? How can Um, they best reach you?
3: Yeah, our our website is pmhu.org and unfortunately, you have to put them in in that order. Um, p-m-h-u. I know it's what confusing. Us. Yeah. Um, that's you can you can learn about all of our programs. We didn't even get to the the digital education platform. We have we have a third branch, which we'll talk about some other time. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that all, all of the, the videos about our, pro, our programs, you can actually go in and see letters that um, some of the men and women in, in prison have written to us over the years because they can't email us. Um, they mm-hmm. actually take time to write beautiful, beautiful letters, often like illustrated letters. Um, and so you can, you can, you can peruse those. Um, there's a video about, of Yo-Yo Ma speaking about the um, digital hospital concerts that we've been given. Um, we're we're very fond of our website. We put a lot of work into it. It so. is
0: beautiful. Um
3: and then the best the best page on that is um it's called donate. And <laughs> <It's> and then <laughs> it's the
0: best page. It's the
3: best page. You just yeah. It's the prettiest um, page. Yeah, but it, and and if if you're not in in a position to to give, we we still encourage you to sign up for our mailing list. Um and we, we'd be happy to, to keep you up to date on the programs um, that we've been doing and, and where you might be able to see us live again someday when, when that becomes possible.
2: Yeah, we, we will put the correct address in the notes. If you go to heartsneedart.org slash podcast, everything from today's show will be on there. Molly and Andrew from Project Music Heals Us, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak with us.
1: Thank you well, thank so, you so much.
3: much for yeah for having us. It's we're we're so we're so fond of of you and your work as well. It's it's an honor to be here. We'll come
2: back and talk about branch number three anytime you want. We'll, <laughs> we'll schedule it. We'll schedule it. Uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. We will see you or hear you. You'll hear us, whatever it is next week. Keep creating, everyone. Goodbye.
0: Bye. it's written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create art for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of HeartSeed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice